A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want to tell you a story. Before we moved up here, we lived for 30 years in West Ride and we went to West Ride Baptist Church. And when our children were little, so it's quite a few years ago, Eric, one of Eric's jobs in the church was looking after all things electrical for the pastor and his wife in the manse. Now one day they had a problem with one of their appliances and so Joe Tinsley, the pastor's wife, rang us one Saturday afternoon. I answered the phone and after we'd exchanged a few pleasantries, she said, is Eric around? Can I speak to him? And I answered her and said truthfully, just hang on a moment and I'll get him. He's up the plum tree picking chocos. Now, there was a stunned silence on the other end of the phone and then Joe said, he's what? And it never occurred to me that I'd said anything strange because that's precisely what he was doing. Now, in our household at the time, be it two-legged or four-legged, furred, feathered, animal or human, nobody in our household was what you would quite consider normal. And in fact, we've had a rather staid life up here for the last 20 years. And so the arrival of the mad dog tank in our household feels to me much more normal. And in case you haven't read Facebook, let me give you a quick account of his doings last week. He went walkabout and poor Meredith was distracted trying to find him. He'd found an open window or an open door in a house down the street where the poor man did shift work and he'd woken up to find this mad dog in bed with him. I have to say that feels far more like normal in our household because, you see, both my mother and I were very partial to very young chocos, not the poor old chocos that you find currently in the fruit and vegetable shops. They should all be taken out and given decent burial. You can really only eat chocos when they're very young and sweet and tender. And so Eric had kindly planted a choco vine out in our backyard by the side fence. But of course, like everything else in our household, it wasn't normal. And the nice trellis that he had put on the side fence for it to climb on, it totally had nothing to do with that. It saw the plum tree a little way away, it galloped across to the plum tree and climbed happily up, right waving its tendrils up at the top and there were the, the tenderest chocos. But of course, we all know that you don't harvest chocos from a plum tree. You want to harvest chocos, you plant a choco. And this seems to us such a fundamental law that we don't ever stop to think about it. It's like the law of gravity. You know, if you drop something, it falls. If I trip, I'll fall over. We just all expect that to happen. And so we expect that when we plant something, we're going to reap what we've sown. We know it. And yet we do need to be reminded of this law. First of all, 
It's a law instituted by God at creation and it's both a natural and a spiritual law. And Genesis quotes it. Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. It's instituted before man was even uh, created. This law of sowing and reaping is just a natural part of our life on earth. But it's also a spiritual law and Proverbs tells us, he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. So that's long before that famous passage that we quoted from Paul in Galatians. Here it is in the Old Testament as well. But it's a law that's intended for our blessing. If you think about those two quotations from scripture, in the first place, imagine how chaotic life would be if you planted seeds and didn't know whether you were going to harvest carrots or sweet peas or if a farmer sowed a paddock and didn't know whether he'd get a crop of wheat or dandelions. Life would be completely and totally chaotic. It is there for our benefit to give us a very sure and certain foundation for our life. We can be totally sure that what we plant, that's what we're going to reap. And also, if you look at the next law, you'll see that it's also intended for our blessing. It's the law of increase. We reap more than we sow. Even Jesus said that. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And you know that because if a farmer wants to harvest a tonne of wheat, he doesn't have to plant a tonne of seed. There is a law of increase in everything that we plant. But that law of increase applies spiritually as well. Now, when God made this law of sowing and reaping, it was before mankind was created. And so we're looking at the Garden of Eden when mankind was created and life was perfect. And so what we are intended to sow are blessings. We are intended to sow good seeds into our lives. We're not intended to sow bad things. But whatever we sow, that passage from Galatians reminds us that's exactly what we are going to reap. And these rather doom-laden words from Hosea They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. If you sow bad seeds, you're going to reap a big harvest in accordance with what you have sown. Look, we know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You've known about sowing and reaping since you were a child. You've known it applies to our lives, at least since you were an adult. So none of this is new. Why do we forget it? Why do we overlook it? And the answer is in that passage from Galatians that we read. Paul's got it right. He begins that passage with, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I don't think that God cannot be mocked is laden with doom. I think it just simply means that God has made a law and he'll stick with it. It'll stand for all time. It's there. It's not going to be changed. God, God, God won't be mocked because you plant carrots and you find um, dandelions growing up instead. 
that, that will not happen. So God cannot be mocked. I don't think that has any necessarily bad connotation. But it's the do not be deceived. And this is what happens to us. Satan comes along all the time and deceives us about the quality of the seed that we're sowing in our lives. Now, as I was preparing this message, I had a picture in my mind. Two or three weeks ago, a picture came to me of a glass jar with a screw top lid. And in the jar were a number of little corms, like little bulbs. And on the front of the jar is this very pretty picture. Now that's Mombrisha. And I took that picture off the internet because it is widely publicised in, in Great Britain that you can grow Mombrisha in your garden as a very pretty garden flower. It has beautiful um, green spiky leaves when there are no flowers and then it's a cross between a yellow and a red flower so you get yellow and red and orange. It is a very beautiful flower. And so I had a picture of here is this jar with the little bulbs, the little Mombrisha bulbs and on the front is this beautiful picture. Now, just at the moment I've had some work done outside our place and I've got a new little garden bed and I've got to decide what I'm going to plant. This would be really lovely because... As I say, the leaves are always attractive and the flowers are so beautiful it would be just a really colourful little garden bed to look at over on the side. But what happens? My glass jar has this beautiful picture on the front but on the back it has something else. It has a warning. Mombrisha grows and multiplies quickly. It is the persistent weed in the Blue Mountains requiring constant effort for eradication. If not controlled, it will smother ground cover plants and suppress native species and cause havoc in the bush. But what do we do? We look at the pretty picture on the front and we look at the garden bed and we think, those flowers would be lovely there. That's not going to happen. I'll look after it carefully. I'll tend that garden bed carefully and I'll make sure that the Mombrisha doesn't escape. Now what Mombrisha does, it puts out runners under the ground with those little corms on it and they multiply. In the law of sowing and reaping, they multiply by the thousand. And if you're anywhere near the bush, they will run underground into the bush. And I know from experience, we didn't plant any, but I, ha I can still see Eric for about the first 10 years we were living up here, killing Mombrisha. It just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. I think we finally eradicated it, but it took about 10 years. But isn't that what Satan does to us? In fact, if you look at the very first temptation from Genesis, this is exactly what Satan said to Eve. Did God really say? Did he re Look, he's a loving, he's a compassionate God. He's full of mercy. He's just created you. He said your creation is good. Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
Doesn't God do that? He sows seeds of doubt. We know that what we're doing is likely to reap down the track a bad harvest. But Satan comes and tells us, you're entitled to feel this way. Something bad has happened. Of course you can feel this way. The other thing he said to Eve was, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, that won't happen if I plant that mombresha. Nothing's going to happen if I hold on to bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness. I'm entitled to. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan always comes to us and tries to pull the wool over our eyes, tries to tell us that, of course, it won't be that bad, really. You'll be able to control it. It'll it'll all be fine. Don't worry about it. Now, let me tell you a story, another story, true story. Canon Jim Glennon had the healing ministry at St Andrew's Cathedral for many years. And by the way, the healing seminar that's taking place in the Uniting Church in a fortnight's time is being taken by one of his disciples, Canon Jill Varco, who worked for the Healing Order of St Luke for many years and would have been trained by Canon Glennon. Now, I never got to hear him um, at St Andrew's Cathedral, but I met him once he took a funeral of a relative of ours and he came to the wake and I made up my mind I was going to have a conver- at least one conversation with Canon Jim Glennon. And so we sat down and we talked for about 20 minutes and he gave me some invaluable advice and I didn't understand much about it at the time. But with all the study um, that I have done since onto the problems in our lives and helping people with them, that advice, that advice has been invaluable. He said to me, if someone has a serious problem, ask what happened about 6, 12, 18 months before that problem developed. See if there is some root somewhere that needs to be dealt with. He said, some years ago, um, a man aged 32 came to me and asked me to pray for his healing. I don't know the man's name, so we'll call him Jack. He said, Jack had cancer. And before I go any further, I want to make the point very clearly that not every time you have an illness has there been some sin in your life. Even Jesus taught us that. But at the same time, if you get prayer for healing and nothing happens, it's worth following what this particular story. So Canon Glennon said to Jim, how long have you had this cancer? Instead of praying for his healing, he said, how long have you had it? And the young man said, Jack said, it started when I was 16. He said, I got cancer, it was cut out and I had radiotherapy or chemotherapy and I recovered, I was fine. But from, for the 16 years, the half of my life, this has been a pattern. The cancer comes back, it's removed, I have therapy, I'm okay. A few years later, the pattern is repeated and he said, I'm tired of it. He said, I've asked people at my church for prayer. I've had so much prayer for healing, but God has never healed me. Please, will you pray for me? And so Canon Glennon asked him another question and he said, I want you to go back and think about when that cancer first started. You were 16. 
Now go back 6, 12, 18 months before that. Was there anything traumatic that happened in your life? And Jack said, yes, there was. He said, when I was 14, I started going to a church youth group. I'd not been to church before and I loved the youth group. He said it was just great and I loved the leader. He was a very charismatic leader. He was a great guy. Not only did he lead a great youth group, but he was interested in everybody. And he said, I was impacted by the gospel. I started going to church and I really was impacted by the message of the gospel and I became a Christian. And Jack said, and this youth leader discipled me. He said he, he had all the time in the world for me, all the time to answer all the questions that I came up with. And he showed me how to live a Christian life as a young teenager. He role modelled it for me. And then he said, one day, and he said, I was 15, so it was about a year after I'd started going to the youth group and the church. He said, suddenly, without any warning, that youth leader committed suicide. And he said, everybody was flabbergasted and devastated because there'd been no clues. He hadn't noticeably suffered from depression. Nobody knew of any problems he had. Nobody had picked up on any attitudes or behaviour to indicate that he was feeling suicidal and he left no suicide note. And Jack said, to this day, all those years later, it's still a mystery. Nobody knows why he did this. And so Canon Glennon said to him, and how did that affect you? And Jack said, well, I was absolutely devastated by it. He said, this man had role modelled for me. He had shown me what it meant to be a Christian. He'd invested so much of himself into me. He said, for a while I queried my Christian faith, but my, my faith has not suffered from it. I still have my strong Christian faith. But he said, it really took a big toll on me personally. And Canon Glennon said to me, he said, we went back to that time in Jack's life and we worked through all the issues, the ways in which he had responded to that incident. And he said, when we had finished working through all of that, the cancer just went and it never came back. Now again I repeat, not every illness has roots like that. But the trouble is if you sow seeds like this young man sowed at age 15, you will reap some sort of a harvest in your life. If not in bodily or mental illness, it will affect your relationships, your attitude, your behaviour. It's not the trauma that affects us. It's not the abuse, it's not the actual incident because you can see two people who will go through a similar experience. One will go, come through it and lead a reasonably normal life. The other person will be totally devastated. It's not in the incident itself, it's your reaction to it. Now, our reaction to the things that happen, our immediate reaction is perfectly normal. Canon Glennon didn't tell me exactly what it was that that young man felt, um, what his attitudes were when he lost that youth leader. But because of all the people that I've listened to and dealt with in the years since, I can have a pretty fair stab 
uh, telling you some of the things that that young man would have been through. Some of the bad seeds that he planted that caused problems in his life later. When you lose somebody like that, we're angry. Now, anger is a normal reaction. It's part of the grieving process. But the normal immediate reactions we have to things, we have to work through them and let them go. It's when you cling on to things, that's when you get the problem. And so I would be pretty sure that in this young man's case there would be anger that this, this youth leader left everybody like that. He needed to forgive the youth leader for what he had done. You often need to forgive someone when they've died. doesn't matter. In this case, it could be helped. But even if it can't be helped, you still often need to forgive the person because they've left you. Your perception is you have been left. And so you need to forgive them. So this young man needed to forgive the youth leader. But there would have been a heap of other people he probably needed to forgive as well. What about all of the family and friends and the people at the church who hadn't picked up on the fact that there was something wrong, there was a problem in this young man's life? He needed to forgive them too. He may have needed to forgive himself because he'd had a lot to do with the young man and he hadn't picked up on anything, so he may well have needed to forgive himself for that. He may even have needed to forgive God. Now we all know that God doesn't do anything wrong. But it's not about what somebody else has done. It's about our perception. People struggle with this thought, why should I need to forgive God? It's, is that how you feel? Have you been angry with God? Have you felt that God's let you down? Now, not with your conscious logic mind, your good Christian mind which sits down and says, of course God hasn't done that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the feelings inside of you. Is this what you have felt? And if you have felt that, then you need to forgive God. He'll cope with that because it's all about our perceptions. So this young man, I'm sure, would have needed to have forgiven a whole lot of people. And then the feelings that he had, the anger and the resentment and the frustration. The sense of loss is fine. We, we all go through that when we're grieving. But it's hanging on to these things. Bitterness that this young man had done this. Hanging on to those feelings is what causes us to reap. And then along with that, I would be pretty sure that Satan would have come along to this young man at that time and said, well, what sort of a person are you? You can't be much chop because if you'd been any good, that young man would not have committed suicide because he was still helping you and you needed his help. So you can't be worth very much. Satan sows those lies into our minds at a time when we are vulnerable to hear them. And it can be all sorts of things. It could have been under those circumstances, I can't trust anybody because having trusted this man so implicitly and then lost him like that, you can be left feeling, I can't trust anybody or I can't trust men or I can't trust women as the case might be. There's a whole lot of lies that Satan can come. They're different. I can't tell you it will be this one or that one. 
but I can be pretty sure that when there's a trauma that you've reacted to like that, there'll be something, some lie. And remember what Hosea said, you sow the wind and you reap the whirlwind. Those lies rule your life. You're not aware of it. You're not, you, it's not even conscious. It's gone into your subconscious. But if you accept those lies, that can destroy relationships in families, relationships with spouses and children, relationships with friends, relationships with work. I've listened to people and they've said their marriages have broken up, they've lost friends. The friends don't know what's going on. What have I done wrong? Why are you reacting to me this way? And it's nothing to do with the present relationship. It all goes back to the past and the way you have reacted to something. Do not be deceived, Paul said. We are so easily deceived by Satan. And Satan is no gentleman. He picks a vulnerable moment and sometimes it's when we're very young. Sometimes we make those choices and we believe those lies even when we are children and we're not even aware of the consequences. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you anything in your past. If any of this touches you, then I'm more than happy to speak to you now that Eric is in care. I am available through the day, not after church, uh, because this takes time, but I'm available to sit down with you and go through anything that you want to if you think there's anything in your life at the moment that might have come from seeds that you have planted in the past. Now, I said this is about God's goodness. God is incredibly wonderfully loving and compassionate and good. And I think when we're looking for 10,000 reasons, I could just write those 10,000 times. <laughs> because we cannot get our heads around how kind, how loving God is for us. God does not want us to suffer the consequences of what we've done. He's even provided that we don't have to go on suffering, reaping what we have sown. Now, it's not that he says, well, that law doesn't apply to you any longer. No, it's a law. But look at Jesus' words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. On the cross... Jesus reaped not what he had sown but what you and I have sown. He reaped the harvest for us to its absolute fullest so that when we forgive, let go of the bitterness, the anger, whatever we've harboured, whenever we recognise and renounce the lies that Satan has whispered to us and we have believed. Whenever we repent of the wrong attitudes that we've had, we are totally free. We do not have to reap any longer what we have sown. Jesus took it all for us 
on the cross. And I've chosen that image of a cross. It's got a name and for the life of me I cannot find what its exact name is. Sometimes called a blooming cross because those three little forms at the end of each of the arms are not there for decoration. They have a meaning. They actually represent new leaves and new flowers because the cross is not only the symbol of death, it's not only where Jesus died, it's looking forward to the resurrection. It doesn't end with Jesus' life. Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life and we can live without reaping a harvest of what we have sown. It's a new life. I was doing ministry once in a group with a particular lady and we were going through her story and we were going through her story for the last 20 years and she carried very heavy burdens and I can't tell you what they were because that would be to break a confidence but I can tell you what happened at the end of the session. After we had gone through this, nearly all sessions when you're talking with people, it's nearly always about forgiving other people and letting go of bitterness and anger and repenting of your attitudes and so on. We'd gone through all of that and she suddenly said, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go, I can't sit here, I've got to go, I've got to go. I calmed her down to get her to stay and tell us what was the matter and she said, I I can't cope, something's gone from me, I've had it for 20 years and it's gone and I don't know how to cope. It was a physical thing for her. God had lifted this burden of her reaping what she had sown for 20 years and she felt the actual burden go from her and she didn't know how to cope with her new life. There's a story of how impacting this can be. It doesn't have to be about illness and recovery from illness but it's just to show the reality that God does work in our life. He is there. He wants us. He loves us so much. He gave his only son that we can have new and transformed and resurrected lives without having to reap what we have sown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a good God you are. Mankind cannot imagine a God who is so full of love and compassion for the ones he has created. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will point out anything to us that where we are reaping any bad seed that we have sown, where we need to come and change our lives around and accept the freedom and the forgiveness that you offer us because Jesus has, after all, borne that harvest for us. He has fulfilled that law in reaping the harvest for us so that we don't need to. Father, we ask that we will all of us just be overwhelmed and impacted by the love that you have for us and live in the reality of that love and show the world around us not just what you can do for us, but what you want to do for them too. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.